Welcome back to another season of the Lead with Data podcast. In this exciting new season, we'll be focusing on engaging with leaders in the healthcare and medical sector who are at the forefront of leveraging data. It's evident that this industry has been underserved when it comes to effectively utilizing data, facing challenges with data privacy, data sharing. However, these challenges also present numerous opportunities for the sector to harness the power of data and drive decision-making and research. I'm thrilled to announce that I'll also be joined by my co-owner, Tracy Rowe, who'll be joining me to interview some of these incredible guests. Together, we're eagerly looking forward to discovering, learning, and gaining a deeper understanding of the impacts that data analytics can have in this industry. Stay tuned for some enlightening conversations that will shed light on the potential transformation brought about by data-driven practices in the healthcare and medical sector. Welcome back to another episode of the Lead with Data podcast. As we work through our healthcare data analytics season, I was really, really excited to have this guest on the show today. In an industry where discussing this topic is still very uncomfortable, it was a true delight to shed light on the importance of personal experiences and how they can shape the value that we drive through healthcare data. I reached out to Nate after coming across his article, which really talks about real life experiences and the value that you can drive through analytics. The conversation that I had with him for me was quite emotional and incredibly enlightening in sort of understanding the impacts um, that people with lived experiences can have on the data that's being produced. So in this episode, we're going to dive deep into the subject of Nate's article and share some of the insights into how personal experiences and lived experiences can shape and drive decision making in the world of the healthcare analytics. I look forward to sharing this with you and really excited to have um, been able to get Nate to come on the show. Welcome on the show, Nate. Yeah, thank you very much. Happy to be here. Awesome. And look, I think when we got talking, I think probably one of the things that caught my eye was the articles and blogs uh, that, that you're writing at the moment in terms of, you know, lived experiences and the impacts that people who have sort of lived through these experiences can have on the healthcare sector. And given that my series, obviously, for this season is is around healthcare analytics, I thought this would be a really, really good opportunity to kind of share more with the listeners, because I personally found it really fascinating when I read your article. But I also think it'd be great to get some more kind of visibility and um, individuals to kind of understand more about the impacts of that, because I think we've talked about how complex the healthcare sector is. And often most clients, when we're hiring for them, will say, we need people to come from a healthcare background. We need them to come from medical. You know, the jargon's really, the jargon's really (laughs) complicated. But I think, you know, your article really caught my eye because it was more around lived experiences, which I think just brings a completely different dynamic and and, and experience to the value that you can drive through that. So, Mm. but for the listeners, like I do with all the guests, I'll I'll get you to introduce yourself now and just give us a bit of a background of um, what you've been doing and where you're at now. Yeah, sure. No problem. Happy to happy to do that. So I currently work as a business intelligence manager, but I've held different roles around uh, Australia, whether it's head of business intelligence at quite large mental health organizations or, you know, kind of more, more towards the, the role that I've got right now, whereas um, I'm a business intelligence manager at an organization that provides services sort of on the ground. Yeah. Um, so my experience has run the gamut. Yep. All the way from research to working with government to the NGO space 
and then all the way through to the the not-for-profit space. So I've I've done um, I've done a bit. <laughs> Excellent, awesome, and you've obviously intentionally chosen to to stay in this industry, you yeah. know, because you've obviously seen an opportunity to really add value, you know, and and really drive some some great analytics to help sort of decision making. Yeah. I think you know, given that your background has probably more recently predominantly been across that mental health care sector, and also more recently in the the NFP that you're working at. Maybe did you want to share a little bit about what you've learned and and how you supported some of these organizations from a data perspective? Yeah, sure. I think um gosh, there's there's so much to to unpack here, but maybe I'll start off with some of the data that we usually deal with. Mm-hmm. And again, it, it changes, you know, with that sort of gamut that I discussed, that um, spectrum of the different organizations that I work with, the types of data that you work with changes quite a bit. Yeah. So I may just rattle off a little bit here. So we dealt with, you know, marketing data. Marketing data is obviously really big if you're trying to get your message out there. We deal, obviously, we deal with client information and demographic type types of information. We also have to deal, like you talked about jargon. We also have to talk about, you know, these things called minimum data sets. Um, I'm not sure if you or your readers are familiar when I when I say something like a, a minimum data set you are okay cool yeah. so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of that going on particularly funders with government funders or or other types of funding bodies that we get there's always this idea of a of a minimum data set so that's one thing that we have to concern ourselves with and then there's the service level data so the day-to-day notes that you might take on individuals or how much time you spent with them was it in a group setting you know this this type of information and then we've got your clinical information which is more like your clinical notes you know what kind of prescription medication might somebody be on how often do they engage with psychiatry you know this this sort of I mean, it's all personal information, but maybe yeah. even, maybe even more personal information than than is than is typical. Yeah, and there is this massive um, issue and concern, isn't it, around the lack of availability to access of this information in terms of being able to drive better healthcare solutions for us as patients and the experiences that we have when you you know when you've got a medical condition or you're going through that just because none of the systems speak to each other yes that is true and then this is just my experience from Mm. the people that i've spoken to there's people that i've spoken to they actually don't want these systems connected and a lot of the people that i've spoken to actually don't want their any of their mental health information being written down or recorded anywhere Mm -hmm. so when they go and visit their doctor's office they Actually, they they asked the doctor to make physical notes as opposed to notes inside a what I would call what I would call a clinical client management system. Mm-hmm. So instead of it being recorded, you know, those aren't necessarily online, but instead of it being recorded in a system, they actually preferred it for it just to be written down, handwritten, yeah, uh, and then kept in a filing cabinet somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and I think certainly when it comes to you know, um, mental health care and um, well-being and, and and those kind of, you know, uh, conditions where you, you're going to see a practitioner for, I can completely understand the, the, why somebody would, would want to do that. 
But I think, you know, when you're talking to some of the other um, healthcare leaders, I think it's more to do with, um, you know, when you're dealing with a particular illness or a condition, mm. and it's mm-hmm. just trying to understand the background and the history of somebody's medical yes. uh, history to be able to help diagnose better. Yeah. Um, which which is probably very different to um you know obviously somebody wanting to protect you know the the discussions and conversations they're having around their mental you know um health plan or their well-being i I think it's more sort of those that some of the leaders are are saying it would be it would hugely improve diagnosis and things like that and preventatives for for individuals if you know we just had access to the history um of that patient Yeah, I guess there's two things there. There's the benefit that you get from, like you said, connecting those different systems, mm. which, you know, it can definitely be helpful from a practitioner's perspective. Yeah. But then there's also the person's experience. Mm-hmm. So like when it comes to the person who's being treated, I can see how telling the same story to 10 different people over and over again could get quite challenging and you know mm. we, we, we've seen that this is going into sort of a tangential topic but but yeah. when it comes to like being victim victimized um mm. and you're going to the police you don't want to have to tell the same you don't want to have to tell the same story a bunch of different times to a number of different police officers and i, I would imagine it's the same thing when it comes to to somebody who's engaging in the in the mental health sector definitely definitely but but you know i think even just some of the stuff that we've talked about here it just goes to show that there's so much opportunity i think across that healthcare sector and that we're going to see over the next five to ten years um and um you know i think there's so much opportunity for there to be um quite significant sort of improvements and innovations um Mm. that are going that are definitely going to help um and look going back to um you know the article um again that's it's another kind of step forward and progression in how you know we can use lived experiences and data professionals to help drive decision making but in your um in your view how do you see the traditional view of sort of bi and data analytics from a technical field but then you know overlooking you know how and 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 where we overlook the human element in our decision making where do you feel that kind of a lived experience can help address that sort of oversight because I think there is that technical component but then there's the real human element that comes into it too. Yeah absolutely and I'd have to say and this is no disparagement on on anyone but the the business intelligence teams that I've been involved in except for the one that I'm currently in have had absolutely no connection to the to the sector Mm -hmm. uh, at all so even when it comes to you know like you said earlier the jargon that's inside the sector particularly with regard to actually having had the experience before it's a different world like the the business intelligence professionals that i work with just don't see don't they don't see that world and so it makes it quite challenging because we as in the business intelligence team are working with people inside the organization that see people or have experienced these particular challenges themselves or you know like i said are seeing people with these particular challenges so Mm -hmm. for me it's gotten to the point where business intelligence teams or it teams or data teams they really do need to see what it is that they're supporting and all that uh, sort of thing and I think one thing in particular, and what my article really discusses is the fact that we we do need to get more people that have lived experience in the data space. Mm-hmm. It, it can be challenging for a lot of different reasons. You know, you have to have a, a degree 
you you know you have to have certain sort of elements in your background to be able to make it into the into the sector but that being said after i wrote the article and sort of posted it on social media there were a number of people who said that they were encouraged uh in in terms of the fact that they signed up to do data science courses um yeah. and so they were they were encouraged to go and do those courses after having read the uh the 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 piece that i wrote I can go into the piece in a little bit more more detail or maybe I can pause there and see if you had anything else to say. Yeah, look, I think um you you you've touched on it a little bit there as well um around sort of the importance of having a data team, you know, and, and professionals that understand the emotional and psychological factors that sort of influence decision making in this sector. You know, and and I can, you know, only assume that you've, you know, worked in organizations where you've had the opportunity to be able to get that sort of understanding and be able to sort of apply that to decision making in terms of the article uh, and and you know going back to you know some you've talked about individuals who navigated mental health or other sort of health challenges have really you know high levels of empathy and and perspective and things like that can you maybe share some examples of how you feel these qualities may have sort of impacted um you know the data driven sort of decision making in the organizations and the teams that you've that you've managed and been part of. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I can talk about anxiety uh, mm-hmm. as as an example, as a, as a sort of a concrete example. So, we've we've had team members who mm-hmm. have have experience with it, and I'd have to say uh I learned quite a lot about their experience with it and how they viewed the data that we were collecting on people who who had that experience. and then how we showed that data to the rest of the organization in particularly the executives and and the board and so there were certain questions that uh you know maybe we sort of questioned whether or not the the data was really telling us the full story and so you just kind of had to it was good to have this person on board because they were able to i don't want to say filter but mm-hmm. they were able to provide a, a different lens on that data in particular and how it's being showed uh, or shown to uh, uh internal stakeholders and and external stakeholders as well so without that person's experience without that person's voice i don't think we would have been able to have been as considered i suppose uh with regard to you know sharing that information yeah no thank you for that because i think it just um gives us um a bit of an idea and the listeners an idea of the sort of different outcomes that you can get from this decision making because obviously there's the, the the business intelligence and the analytics that we create is just part of the tool that we use but then how do we interpret that can be so different depending on yes. who's looking at that and who's yeah. who's providing that and if it's somebody yeah. with a lived experience like you said their view and experience will probably provide a much more in depth yeah kind of outcome yeah and i I'd, i'd have to say just to expand on that a little bit like we do work with things like you know psychometric assessments and and things like this and we will see you know not necessarily in in the in the organization that i work at at the moment but in many different contexts i've seen that psychometrics actually uh tell a different story to the story that the person would like to to tell us the story that the person would like to tell us is often a very positive one mm-hmm. um where they've come out of a program and they actually feel much better but then when you look at their uh psychometric data so like as an example a K10 I'm not sure if anybody's 
you know, familiar with what a K10 is. Yeah. I can talk about it. Um, yeah, that would be great. I think that would be good because I'm certainly not familiar with it now. Yeah. So, well, we've got a few, I call them psychometric assessments. I think that's what they're, they're I think that's what they're, they're generally called, but you may have an instrument or a tool that's, you know, one of the ones, the one, the one I just referenced is called the K10. And one of the questions on the K10 might be something like, and I'm just sort of shooting from the hip here, you know, in the last 30 days, how often have you felt joy from the, the things that you normally feel, feel joy from? You know, so it may, that may be speaking to a particular uh, mental health domain. As an example, it could be depression. I'm not, I'm not saying that it is, but you know, it it, it may may be something like that. And so the psychometric that we use, you know, sometimes, um, you know, like the K10, uh, it might actually show that the person has actually gotten worse, whereas the person's reporting that they actually feel better. And there's a lot of reasons why that that could be the case. And it's really difficult to tease out what's happening there. Um, Sometimes it's because people, when they first fill out the psychometrics, they don't actually realize how bad things are, or they don't have the language. They don't understand the language that's being used on the psychometric assessment. Whereas when they go through these programs, they then learn they learn the language and and they learn um, what some of these psychometric tools are sort of talking about. And so they're better able to explain, oh, actually, you know, in the last 30 days, I've been, I I have not felt, you know, uh, very good uh, about, you know, X, X, Y, or Z, just, just as an example. Um, Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see these uh, sorts of things happening. And so that again, goes back to, well, how do we show that to our leadership? You know, because yeah. our leadership and our funders, they want to see performance against K10. That's 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 what they want to see. Whereas from my perspective, um, as a as a BI, even as a BI person, mm-hmm. my, my perspective is we really need to get to the individual stories. So don't worry so much about the K10s or performing well on these psychometric assessments over time. You know, it, it can tell a story, but really it's it's leaving out the the human element, which again goes back to the the article that I've written and a, a number of articles that I've written so far with regard to yes, you can use business intelligence to make decisions, but you have to be very careful how you interpret some of the data that we're seeing. Yeah. So let's talk um, a bit more about the the article, Nate. You know, firstly, you obviously felt pretty passionate and 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 quite strong about sort of sharing the benefits of you know lived experience and how they can drive value so talk us through sort of you know what kind of encouraged you to write the article and then maybe share with us sort of what that article covers and some of the benefits that we can see because I know you talk a little bit about the stigma and the bias awareness and things like that talk us through talk us through the article and um you know what 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 it's sort of telling the readers and what it's sharing yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I'd have to say one shouldn't write an article like this unless they've had the experience. So um, I'm happy to share that that I, I do have that sort of experience. And I've also worked with, as I said before, I've worked with business intelligence professionals who have also had that kind of experience. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of where it came from. And mm-hmm. I thought it was an opportune time to discuss it because we at, at the moment, at least here in, in Victoria, we are going through a process where, you know, we are trying to reform the mental health sector. 
Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that a lot of organizations, um, the one that I'm working in, as well as our uh, our other partners in Victoria and around uh, Australia, are all trying to create these data teams. Like they they want to use data effectively to be able to make good decisions to be able to support the community. But I, I don't think I I think that this aspect of building a business intelligence team, I feel, is could be improved. I was going to say getting neglected, but then <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe I could just say um, something a little bit more diplomatic, which is <laughs> it, it could be could be improved. Yeah, there's a few different ways that it could be improved. There's the there's the generic sort of ways. You know, when you hire somebody with lived experience, which is the organization, you know, if, if you've got people around with some empathy for your experience, you know, it, it improves, you know, the support that you get from the organization. It also uh, improves, you know, ad- advocacy and awareness uh, inside the organization itself. And I'd have to say that's important even in an organization that supports people with mental health mm-hmm. conditions. It's it's still really important to have that. And it also encourages people with lived experience to 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 have peers and peers that they can speak to uh particularly if they're having if they're having um you know difficult times mm-hmm. difficult times at work so those are the sort of the more generic um ways that lived experience can really help out i think uh in the space and then i've talked about a few other ones i'll just kind of list them i think and then we can go go into more, a little bit more detail so there's yeah. there's e- ethics obviously um, so when I write my data ethics frameworks or if I write data governance, I'm always writing those documents thinking about the people that we're, that we're trying to serve and, and making sure that their wants and needs are, are, are being taken care of when we, when we write those, those kinds of documents. Yeah. You know, there's, there's things like, you know, the way that we analyze the data, which we've discussed before, there's, you know, there's nuances around it. It's not necessarily cut and dry. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily the way it the way it looks. So you do have to be a little bit careful there. Bias is is also really important, whether it's explicit or or implicit. So there's bias in data collection, analysis, and interpretation. So that that speaks a little bit to the nuance, but then it's also sort of a, a separate topic that that you also have to think about. Obviously, it enhances decision making because you're getting you know, the the best analysis that you can out of it if you're using people that have lived experience. Another one that's a little bit more generic maybe is um, it also reduces stigma. Yeah. Um, so in business intelligence teams, you may have maybe some increased stigma with regard to the fact that you just, the business tel- business intelligence professionals maybe just don't understand mm-hmm. um, because they're a little bit disconnected. They don't they're not actually in the mental health space, even though they're yeah. all, they are in the mental health space. So there's uh, there's there's that. I know in particular with uh, the organization that I'm in at the moment, the fact that we had someone who had anxiety and would talk about it openly, it was uh, really good to have that because the other team members really got to understand what it is to have it, how we support somebody when they've got it, and and all that sort of stuff. And I, I think they all. I think they all learned from it, and I think that they all realized that they they themselves also experienced lo- different levels of anxiety in their life, and it sort of helped to uh, not not just reduce stigma, but it you know it helped with the self care as well. Yeah. Um, just I- identifying the fact that you know maybe you are feeling a bit a bit stressed at times. There's empathy and perspective, of course. If you've personally navigated these sorts of systems, you can understand maybe a little bit more about 
you know, the, the data that's being collected on you. And then, you know, maybe the, maybe there's some data that you don't really want to have, you know, mm-hmm. collected on you. I think we, we discussed that a little bit before. And also you can relate to the struggles and the triumphs that other people um, have experienced. And so we sometimes do look at individuals' data. And so maybe we can we can make a little bit more of a, a better judgment on how to show the data, the managers or case managers or or whatnot. And then of course I, I always go back to this, and it doesn't matter if I'm talking about mental health or or anything else. Human-centered design is is absolutely critical, I think, in 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 any space. And I used to teach I used to teach on this that human human-centered design is uh, one of the most important things. I was uh, I was on LinkedIn the other day, and somebody posted. Uh, a really interesting topic on the fact that you know you create all these reports and whatnot, but they don't actually answer any of the questions that the the business are asking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know maybe that sounds a little bit disconnected from the human element, but it, you really do have to be able to establish those relationships and and have that empathy for the for the users. And if if you've if you've had the experience on the ground of being of having gone through this before, you can really leverage that experience and build better reports and dashboards for those managers that that may may be using them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I think some of the things that you've said there, Nate, uh, you know, are just things that probably someone like me, you know, wouldn't have even sort of thought about. But when you talk about the data that you collect within a mental health sort of you know organization, it's really nothing tangible. Right. So it's not something that like it's not like when you, you know, uh, you're looking at a retail organization where every um, interaction that somebody might have is something you can measure because mm. with mental health, there's so many variables. Um, I did a course myself of being able to support and um, be able to, um, you know, just be a little bit more mindful and be more aware of, you know, understanding individuals that you work with or people that you might be friends with and and to to sort of help you know support them if they're going through any mental health sort of crisis or situation and really because the conditions associated and there's there's a vast number of conditions I suppose in the mental health space but the there's so many variables so if you haven't mm. got lived experience oh, I think in all honesty, you just cannot, you really just yep. cannot look at that information and really know what you're talking about. Absolutely. I had a, I had a boss one time who she, she was saying to me, we were developing a, uh, a product that was um, supporting people with both mental and physical health, sort of mm-hmm. at the same time, sort of tackling them at the same time. And um, she just did not understand what anxiety and depression was. Mm-hmm. Because and from her perspective, she's just never had it before. Yeah. So she just she just did not know how to talk about it. She didn't know what it was like to have it or or any of those sorts of things. And so I described my experience with with those things um, uh, before, but mm-hmm. I think even then she she didn't she didn't quite understand it. So it, it is important to have somebody like you know my colleagues that I've spoken about, maybe somebody like me. Mm-hmm. on staff who actually can understand i suppose where somebody's coming from when they're when they're using your your products or your services and i think some organizations and particularly the one that i'm in at the moment are they're doing an excellent job with regard to getting advocates on board and getting people involved and uh doing sort of co-facilitation yeah um, and co-design and co-development 
Yeah. Um, so we're, we're, we're getting better at it. Yeah, absolutely. And how can organizations set themselves up or prepare themselves for bringing in this advocacy? Because, you know, of course, when you when you have, you know, team members or individuals who come with lived experiences, you have to expect that they're going to experience those, you know, conditions during the time that they're working there, which is yeah. probably one of the, the reasons why organizations are unsure about whether they're going to be able to support you and yes. whether you're still going to be able to do the work that you're required to do. Yes. And if you're not there, how are they going to do that? And they're probably all the questions, I think. And a lot of it comes from just a lack of education around how you can manage and support and create an environment to bring people like that in who, mm. you know, when you compare the value that you can bring in, certainly outweighs, you know, the day's, away from the office that you might need to go and, you yeah. know, be, you know, uh, have some time out to work through your, you know, your condition and, and things yeah. like that. Yeah. But how how would you, uh, what would your advice be to organisations who want to do this, but are maybe a bit afraid because they're so, there's just such a lack of awareness um, mm. around how they can, how they can create an environment to bring people like that in? That is a very challenging question to answer. Mm. Um, I'd have to say a lot of organizations haven't figured that out yet, uh, mm -hmm. particularly with regard to if you're trying to hire somebody like a manager or somebody uh, like that. A lot of organizations, I think, they find it quite challenging to to manage and um, balance the, yes. the the cost benefit. I, I, I suppose uh, when it comes to hiring somebody with lived experience, I think different organizations are are sort of approaching it differently. I think a lot of organizations, or a few organizations anyway, that that I've worked with, they they actually do a really good job of creating these things, what they call you know well being plans. And I think it's really important that you you have that put in place. The downside. This is going off on a tangent a little bit, but hmm. the the downside of that is you you actually as a person as an individual have to tell the organization that you have these challenges. Mm -hmm. And I'd have to say I don't. I'm not going to put any of the organizations that I've worked with on the spot or anything. But I don't think that if I were to self nominate as as having hmm. a, a condition, I don't necessarily think that it would be supported or encouraged. Yeah. Um, and I, I, in fact, in I can I can pretty much um, guarantee you that, you know, the opportunities of maybe being promoted would would not be there, I, mm. I would say, if it were to to sort of come to that. And I, you know, sort of self-disclosed. So I think that's a that's a bit of a challenge. I, I know I'm sort of skirting around answering your question um, no. because I, I don't I find it very challenging to 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 answer it i don't i don't think a lot of pnc and hr departments really have it have it nailed down mm -hmm. um i think i i don't know I, I don't know why they don't have it nailed down maybe it's because they're trying to manage organizational risk which mm -hmm. i think a lot of organizations of course yeah. are, are trying to manage that um which is fair enough but i think maybe the balance is you know you you hire somebody who can demonstrate the fact that they they do have their condition under enough control mm -hmm. to still be able to to do the job so yeah as an example i've held uh, a number of high profile roles there's a lot of people with conditions like mine that have held high profile roles mm -hmm. that that are out there uh and so i think you've got to find somebody who or so find somebody who's who's been through that who, who yes. knows who knows how to manage it 
Yeah. But then at the same time, if they don't necessarily know how to manage it, you've got to have PNC professionals who can help that person manage it. But yeah. Then it, but then again, that's not their job. Yeah. It's not their job to be a psychiatrist. Of it's course. Not, it's not their job to be a social worker mm-hmm. um, or, or, or whatnot. So it I, is a challenging I think what that sort of tells me is, is it's not exclusive to just having an analytics team or a data team with individuals with lived experiences. I think it's got to be something as an organisation yeah. that companies, you know, if they decide to go down that and that's that's something they want to do as part of their inclusivity, diversity and, and bringing that kind of diverse thinking yeah. Um, at, yeah. but also quite specific thinking within an organisation where you are analysing that kind of data. I think it, it's it's got to be an organisational wide thing because if it is, yeah, it's probably a lot, I think it's a lot more, and I don't like using the word, but it's a lot more accepting. People are a lot more aware of it and there's more yeah. education. I think it's usually the lack of understanding and education that kind of, yes. you know, people are, yeah. are worried about going into something and not yeah. knowing whether they're going to be able to be fair to the individuals or yeah. whether yeah. they're going to, yeah. um, you know, whether they're going to do that. But, um, you know, I think you, I mean, we've already sort of highlighted some of the the key key benefits um in terms of you know how lived experiences can really impact that decision making and one of the things or you know what I'd love to share with the listeners is could you maybe talk about and give us some examples of where you've worked on some use cases or you've looked at some particular data that's really helped kind of highlight something that you think perhaps um you know somebody who didn't have lived experiences would have been able to to pick up on like have you got any examples of any time during your career where you've looked at something and gone you know you and your team or the individuals who may have had that lived experience have been able to bring a different perspective on it yeah i'd say i mean i would i would go back to the example i i think that i gave with regard to the you know looking at the psychometrics yeah like the, the, the k10s or, or whatever psychometric it is you want you mm-hmm. want to use just because somebody seems to regress that that does not mean that the support that they got wasn't good um mm-hmm. or the support that they got wasn't effective yeah so you know there's 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 something there where maybe we're measuring the wrong thing that could be something or it could be again just uh if they're if they if they get a little bit more education a little bit a lot of these programs are educative so when they learn about what it is that they're going through they can because it's a self assessment so when they when they self assess you know 3 months later they realize oh actually i was i'm actually pretty bad you know i'm actually feeling quite bad yeah and and so one of the things that i think i and my leadership what we share what we have in common is the fact that this quantitative data this quantitative data does not tell the whole story yeah so you you you've really got to have that quantitative data mixed with what some people call call the more qualitative data or the stories and 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 that sort of thing you you've really got to have a mixture between the two to really get a good understanding of how successful you know a program might be because a lot of our funders that's what they want to know they want to know how successful is the program and again they 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 use those psychometrics as a way to determine whether or not a program is successful or not and we've in my opinion the 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 sector is far too leans far too much in that direction and we we need to and even myself as a business intelligence person we've really got to bring it back to the, the people's stories I really think that we need to be collecting people's stories if they're willing to share them with us 
to do that more that more advanced level uh, processing, um, yeah. so that we can tailor support packages. Um, oh, definitely. Individuals. Oh, I, I mean, just then, even just when you, what you were talking about, you know, the the way that you can support, you know, psychologists and, and counselors who are working with these individuals based on stories and experiences could really change the way they sort of treat and work with patients as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, there's exactly. so much opportunity there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I know, I know, people are sometimes reticent to give up that data, but then. I also know that there's heaps of information online where people are sharing their stories, mm-hmm. and so we just need to get to the point where we're, we're leveraging leveraging that. Yeah, as much as possible, definitely. Yeah. Look, thank you so much, Nate. It's been really, um, it's been been an awesome um, discussion. I, I've really enjoyed, and thank you so much for you know sh- sharing your experience. And you know, if there was um, a few things you'd like to say, I know you mentioned that you got some really good sort of feedback and and things on your article, but what are the, some of the things that you felt your articles helped with? Well, I think the main thing is that it, it, it's helped some people think I can go into the data space, mm-hmm. but the data space is actually for me because as you, as you can imagine, you know, me, me being getting to, or being a, a middle-aged white male, you know, this is this is the typical person that you might see sort of in the data space. Yeah. But the people that have reached out to me have been from a plethora of backgrounds. And so it's been really heartening to to see that they're willing to take the plunge and, and do a data science degree. And, you know, even though they may think that there's going to be some stigma, you know, as they move through the process, at least when they get out to the other side, there are people who are going to value their contributions um, in in the workplace. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. And look, I'm sure that after listening to this episode, you may get people reaching out to you. Happy for them to connect with you on LinkedIn, Nate. And um, yeah, if they wanted yeah. to ask you anything about what you're doing, I'm sure there could be potentially some organisations that might want to hear a little bit more about. Oh, yes, absolutely navigated yep. the challenges or how you yep. could bring you know um, lived experienced um, professionals into the team and how you can Absolutely. support them and things like that are you happy for them to reach out to you yeah of course yep 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 we um we i run workshops and i, I used to be a, a lecturer and a tutor at the university of melbourne so i i do key, keynotes and and all that sort of yep. stuff so very happy to help out fantastic well thank you so much i really appreciate your time nate and i've really really enjoyed the discussion yeah, thanks, Rena. It's great, great chatting to you. Thanks for in- inviting me on on the show.